It's Tuesday, June 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, tanned, rested, and ready, it's Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. How are you, Chris? I'm not quite as rested. Yeah? I'm not as tan. Thanks for bringing the main weather with you. <laughs> it is fantastic outside. It is gorgeous outside. And here we are in a windowless room. I know. Let's make this quick. <laughs> uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. One company is having trouble finding a CEO, so uh, depending on what your resume looks like, we may have a job opening for the dozens of listeners. Let's start with some earnings from Casey's General Stores. And by earnings, I mean blowout earnings. At least Starting with the thunder, are you, Chris? It really is. Yeah. I mean, Casey's General, the stock is up 11%. It's hitting an all-time high. How good was this quarter? It was really, it was a really good quarter. I mean, sixty-eight cents versus fifty-one uh, a year ago for the quarter. Five dollars and fifty cents for 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 the year versus three eighty-one for a year ago. The stock, as you said, is up ten percent, and all of this came in the environment in which I think the thing that people were surprised about is that it's. One of the things that Casey's does, one of their big revenue items, is gasoline sales, and it's been kind of a cruddy environment for selling gas. Right, pricing hasn't been there, spreads haven't been there. So for them to come in with a quarter like this, that means that their front of store has just performed magnificently. That was the thing I was thinking about when I was taking a quick look at the results, um, and I just and this is not a apples to apples comparison but i thought of costco because yeah. every time costco reports earnings you know the uh, the gasoline is is part of that equation but it really does seem like casey's general has through no fault of their own inadvertently put pressure on costco and anyone else who is in that business to basically say hey look you don't have to be victim to the whims of gas prices if you are really getting it done in the front of the store. Yeah. Do you have you been to a Casey's? I've never been to a Casey's. Yeah. So you know what they're about, right? So folks here on the East Coast are probably familiar with Wawa or Sheets. Casey's is kind of like that, but in the Midwest. And so, yeah, maybe they've put Costco under a little bit of pressure. But they're really, really putting pressure under fast food restaurants. You know, companies like McDonald's that have. Dominated the uh, you know the, the 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 travel food market for for such a long period of time, and I mean there are multiple stores. I mean I would love to be. I mean Wawa might be at the top of my list for companies that I would like to invest in that don't exist, but you know or that you can't. Not that it doesn't exist. Wawa is a real thing, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, you know, but Casey's is a pretty good alternative. I mean, there's Circle K, uh, there's Seven Eleven, even, but Casey's may be the one that is most similar to a Wawa or a Sheets. When you look at the stock hitting an all-time high, is it pricey? Because Casey's General is one of those stocks that, in good times and bad, has never really struck me as being pricey. No, it's okay. It's. It's a little pricey, but given compared to what else is out there in the market, I mean, Beyond Meat trading at a price to sales of thirty-four, I think we're fine with Casey's. I mean, Casey's, Casey's food margins, the margins in their store are spectacular. This is a really, really well-run company, uh, and it's really taking share from a lot of the quick-serve restaurants. Uh, you know, the, particularly again, you know, as we get out into the travel season, this you know over the summer. I, you know, I see good things for this company. I, they're going to start to run up against uh, some real competition, particularly you know as they push to the east. But 1,900 stores, they know what they're doing. 
Let's move on to the latest uh, in the U.S.-China trade war, and uh, the latest hook from from the Wall Street Journal involves Foxconn, which has come out and said Foxconn is prepared to move Apple production out of China. Yeah, and not only are they prepared to. They could do it. They feel like they could do it rather quickly with without any disruption. So Foxconn. One of the really interesting things about this article was that they they noticed they noted that the company's been public since 1991. The actual name of the company is Hanhai Precision. This is the first investor conference call and meeting that they've ever had. The first one. Why do you think they? Why now? <laughs> well, I mean, part part of it, and one of the reasons that they did this was that the president and founder of Foxconn's guy named Terry Go is running for president of Taiwan, so he has to step down. So they're talking about some of the uh, you know some of the issues having to do with you know with with uh, leadership transition and such things. But they took the opportunity to say, by the way. We didn't open up in Wisconsin for nothing. We don't have massive facilities in Vietnam and Mexico and Brazil and even Japan for nothing. We're ready. And we've been thinking about this for years as the advantage for manufacturing in China has declined. So in some ways it's almost, you know, the the thing that's fascinating to me and this talks about how pragmatic these, you know, the the Chinese and the Taiwanese are with each other. It seems to be entirely uncontroversial that the potential next president of Taiwan is one of the largest employers in China. I mean, that's not even something that they're really even you know they're not even really talking about. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is it's just interesting to see the ways in which global trade and global manufacturing are shifting. Based upon the potential for a long protracted uh, trade war, does that automatically mean that the price of the next iteration of iPhone is going to be higher as a result? Let's say this actually happens. <laughs> if, you know, as opposed to what? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, well, that's a that's a fair response. I don't, yeah, um, but but if you're someone who loves Apple's products and you see this headline. I think it's reasonable to ask the question, wait a minute, is stuff going to... Know... Apple has always had pricing power. Are yes. they going to have even more now? Because if they're moving, if Foxconn is moving production out of China, my assumption is it's going to cost more to build the iPhone in Wisconsin than China. Yeah, I don't. I actually, I don't think so. The iPhone and the iPad, particularly the iPhone, have had such huge margins that the manufacturing component. I mean, it's like it's like if you have to spend a little bit more to manufacture a pharmaceutical, that doesn't really have anything to do with the price that they're able to charge. I mean, they have really, really found a way to find a, you know to price it at the point in which you know the customers would still. Consume Consume. So, I don't, I don't really think that this is an issue for them. I mean, it could, it could impact margin just a little bit, but that that margin is already being impacted by by virtue of the fact that these things are being manufactured in China, you know, under under a new tariff regime. If you're looking for a new job, you might want to <laughs> check out the. Job offerings at Wells Fargo, which uh, continue to include the CEO position. Monster.com may have this listed. <laughs> Wall Street Journal reporting that Wells Fargo, shocker, is having trouble getting some of the top executives in the banking industry 
uh, interested in the CEO job at Wells Fargo. It's hard not to have just a little bit of Schadenfreude about this, as poorly as Wells Fargo has behaved over the last several years. Oh yeah, no, we're definitely going to have a little bit of Schadenfreude. You know who else is? Jamie Dimon. Yeah, <laughs> Jamie. I like that Jamie Dimon um, last month took a shot at them. And Savage. I'm, and I'm quoting here. He was at an investor conference and said, "It's not responsible for a company. It's just my own view to have a CEO leave with no plan in place." I don't personally understand that, and he's referring, of course, to uh, not just a company, but a but a systemically important bank. Absolutely, <laughs> no, absolutely, and you know, I mean, put aside the issues that they had with the fake credit card accounts and and all of the cultural issues. Um, although that all of those things led to where they are right now, having trouble filling this spot. Yeah. Uh, but he's got a point. I mean, he's, he ta- he's taking a, a shot, but he's got a point that if you're the board of directors, and Tim Sloan suddenly walks out the door, you got to be ready. It's baffling to me that they didn't have an an emergency break glass plan in place. Not saying Tim Sloan was going to leave, but they had no idea what they were going to do. And so what they've what they've ended up having to do is they've gone out, they tried to get the CEO of of PNC, a guy named Richard Demchak. They went after uh, Gordon Smith from JP Morgan. They've even gone after a guy named Richard Davis, who was the former CEO of US Bank or Bancor. Um, who is now the CEO of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And all of these people have said, no, we're really not interested because, I mean, for one thing, they had to have each watched you know, when the Senate Banking Committee just absolutely torched Tim Sloan and said, that's just not worth it. I mean, this job really, really must be toxic, and there's very little to see in Wells Fargo's future because of caps that the Federal Reserve has put on the bank. Any type of turnaround in the bank is years into the future. Well, and if you're Gordon Smith at J.P. Morgan, um, if Jamie Dimon ever decides it's time to ride off into the sunset, Gordon Smith is on the short list of internal <laughs> candidates to replace him. So why would you leave? He that? is, and he has he has. I think the number was fifty million dollars in deferred uh, compensation coming to him, just remaining where he is, which you know. Good for him. Would um, <laughs> must be nice. Uh, yeah. So getting him would be quite expensive, and they really this has to be a good hire for 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 Wells Fargo. So I can take why they are perhaps going slow, but the fact that they didn't have a plan in place is is perhaps unconscionable, and also perhaps demonstrative of why no one wants the job. Is it a given that it's going to be someone from the banking industry? Because obviously, industry expertise is important, but they still have cultural problems at yeah. Wells Fargo. I think I think the answer is it's a fantastic question. I think the answer is yes, simply because yeah, they have the cultural issues to solve, and maybe that is a higher. But the bigger issue that they have is that the regulators and the Federal Reserve are down their throats, and I don't know that a non-banking person would necessarily have the tools in place to be able to navigate those issues. Our email address is marketfullery at fool dot com. Got an email from Andrew who writes. It was great to see and meet 
many of you at Foolfest last Friday. Thank you for all that you do. Your research, insight, and humor makes investing enjoyable and time efficient. Uh, thank you for that, Andrew. He goes on to write, You've certainly made me smarter, happier, and richer, as well as annoying my wife when I walk around the house with headsets on listening to your podcast. Andrew? We the downside. We, we appreciate the, good, <laughs> the, the, the nice comments there. Don't don't unnecessarily annoy the missus. No, that's just no. That's a that, that's a self-inflicted wound. And admit there. it. Yeah. In an email, which I mean, what did you think we were going to do with it? Yeah. So also, we don't want any residual blowback from Andrew's wife. We no. don't want her being like, "Hey, no. I, you know, you are making me certainly less happy." Right. No, that's exactly. no good. Um, uh, yesterday on Market Foolery, uh, Mac and Jason and Emily talked a little bit about Fool Fest. Um, it was our biggest event we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, one or two things that stand out for you in terms of highlights? Well, I was uh, I had a wonderful conversation with the CEO of Upwork, a man named Stefan Casriel, and just listening to him really describe the issues around the uh, the gig economy, around uh, you know around contractors, and and how. Nearly 35% of all Americans do actually have are temporarily employed in some ways. A lot of whom were by choice. And I'll be honest, I think about business a lot, and I think about the economy and the way things that you know tra- uh, things are progressing a lot. But he brought up some really, really interesting concepts, just in terms of. The power of the worker now, and the fact that perhaps the relationship between employer and employee is breaking down, and maybe actually in some ways it should. Yeah, no, that was. Um, I did not catch all of your interview uh, with Stefan. I caught the second half of it. It was yeah. it was really great. It was very enjoyable. Um, I just. Uh, and I think I say this every year about Full Fest, but it's always so great just to meet people and talk to people and get a sense of where they are in their investing life. Some people are just starting out, some people are younger, some people are older, yeah. and they're starting to think about um, their kids and their grandkids and sort of setting, you know, ways to pass on the love of investing for them and yeah. the next generations. And um, and it was, yeah, it was just great. I, so, I, I do love both of those constituencies. And, and, you know, at some point it becomes, it, it becomes so fun for us. You know, I, I look forward every time to, for example, seeing the Morgans, the North Carolina family from North Carolina <laughs> who come to each and every event. Uh, and they're, they're just lovely people. And you get a chance to really enter and they say these are the things that are meaningful to us, and we'd like for you to do more of. And occasionally, people say, you know, maybe do a little bit less of this, uh, yeah. you know, or, or yeah. a little bit different. And so, I can't even, you know, I can't even begin to describe how valuable those interactions are for us. And I do do love when uh, when folks bring their, you know, their, their kids, their, you know, their college age, you know, young adult uh, family members and guests, just seeing them begin to understand because they have the. Big Biggest advantage of all, you know, they have all of their earnings potential in front of them, and they have so much time. And it's, I mean, it's it is a wonderful event, and I enjoy it each and every year. Yeah, it was great. So thank you to everyone uh, and all the the listeners who came up. Yeah, um, uh, both of them, both of them, <laughs> both of the dozen. No, no, there were a bunch of people. That's it's true. great because there are a bunch of people who come up and they're like, I listen. Here's how I listen. Here's when I listen. Yeah, and then there are people who come up to me and say, Do you work here? 
Can you? Um, <laughs> what time is lunch? Where's the coffee? <laughs> Which is a good question for can, you. Can you introduce me to Andy Cross? Like, like, sure. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, Bill Mann, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 